This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales, with the Robin Mob of Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob, and Rob, this is a very special episode for all sorts of complicated reasons. For all sorts of very complicated reasons, which we might briefly allude to. Although, I have to say on, on that note that I, I actually think we should go through and make a list of very special episodes, and in fact, weren't very special oh, episodes. Oh, no, Rob, every episode was special. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're like children, our episodes. Every episode is special. But, in uh, fact, but we, but actually, this episode was almost the bastard stepchild we kept in the basement, wasn't it? Uh, was it the red-haired <laughs> bastard stepchild? I think it was, because, uh, as our listeners will recall, we were going to do a Christmas special. Yes, yes. And then we were going to do a 151st anniversary special, at a meeting at the Civil War Roundtable of Australia, Victoria, uh, meeting, which we did do. Which, in fact, we did. In fact, it, it went off wonderfully. I think, I think we started off with, you started off, Michael, with a very witty joke. I did. And, yeah, look, we, we were, we were, we were brought up to the, uh, podium. We were introduced. By, by Barry Crompton. By yeah. Barry Crompton of the, uh, Civil War Roundtable and by Bayard Shepherd, who, who are hosting the proceedings. Yes. We got up there, we received rapturous applause. Yes. Oh, yes. Exactly like that. It yes. was, it was, this is simulated, but that's kind of what it sounded like. And, uh, we did tell one or two jokes that I thought went down extraordinarily. Yes, yes, it, it, was, it was exactly like that. The it was exactly was, like, that. like that. But the idea was that we were going to, uh, record, record the episode. Live podcast, record the episode, but what happened, Rob? Uh, th- there were technical difficulties. There were, so we are sort of trying to, uh, recreate yes, the Yes, this is when, when we're, we're recreating the vibe with, 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 with special effects <laughs> can and, um, laughter and applause. Yes, in fact, can I just say, we opened up a fresh can of canned <laughs> laughter for this episode, the fresh, and we might even, um, at the, uh, at the next meeting get, um, Try and record a bit of, uh, <laughs> I, you know. I, I don't think we should go. Oh, okay, you, you don't think any, anyway, the, the applause was genuine. And in, in an interesting way, this episode kind of loops back on itself in a very Doctor Whoish kind of way because, um, we are now, um, award winning, uh, podcasters. Yes, Michael, what, what, what award did we well, win? Well, I believe it wasn't a technical award. <laughs> Sorry to say, Rob. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, an award for brilliance of producing in podcasting, which is kind of lucky because the technical difficulties for recording that podcast were in fact due to me. So, so, so yeah, luckily they didn't give, give us that award. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, the, the award that we received was what? the research award yes. from the, uh, Civil War Roundtable of Australia. Yes. Orion chapter. And we're very excited to have, oh, and humbled to have received that. Yes, yes. And this was in uh, recognition of the 52 episodes we did chronicling yes. the journey of the Shenandoah. Well, well uh, but in a funny way, you see, that, that presentation that we'd given to 
the Civil War Grind Table, which was a month before we got the award, might in fact have contributed to us getting the award. So we're now celebrating getting the award by recreating an episode that helped us get the award. Oh, I think that's very recursive. I, I, yeah, I think I think we're we're in danger of re- reversing the polarity of the time stream there, and as as we know from Doctor Who, that that is never a good thing. Never a good thing. So, so, so what we were going to do in our Christmas special and our final episode. Yes. And we actually did do this, yes, being yes. very Doctor Who again. Um, is there were two parts to our podcast. Yes. The first is I just gave a bit of an overview of what we did yes. over the over the past year. Oh, I, I remember when back back when I did six form debating, the, the the guy who got up and said, "I'm going to speak about speaking." I, I thought, I've lost, I've lost. He's, he's, that was the first time I'd ever seen Meta, and I just thought, I, I am done here. So you were going to do a, a, a first half, a podcast about podcasts. I did, yes. Oh, which yeah. I'm going to do again. Which you're going to do again. And uh, Rob, also, then you then, to just tie the whole story yes, up, yes, you yes. spoke uh, about the Alabama claims. The, uh, the Alabama claims, yes. And I, th- I think at the time I said that you know, there are two ways of ending a movie. Um, there's the, the where are they now, which you have at the end of Animal House, where you find out that Jim Belushi's character becomes a senator and the, the sergeant of cadets was shot by his own troops at Vietnam. And we, in fact, had done that in an early episode where we went through the fates of the eventual cruise of the Serendale. But then there's the also ending that you have, say, at the end of The Producers, where you end in the big court case where the defendants are found incredibly guilty. So that, that's what I'm going to do in the second, the second half of this episode, do a bit of a layout of the Alabama Claims trial. Yes. So, um, yeah, I... I'm just going to give a bit of a brief recap about what we did over the last the last year. So, uh, have you got your finger ready on the canned applause button, or, or, <laughs> or, or do we do we think that's a bit cheesy? I think I think we're just going to cut. Oh, okay. So anyway, we'll, so we'll cut the cheese. It, from it, now it, any any time that, that Michael briefly pauses, imagine imagine an enraptured audience clapping like uh, like at the beginning of this, uh, <laughs> of this podcast. Yes. So we we actually started the podcast back in. 2014. Oh my god. And it's yeah. now 2016, right? Oh, that, that's. Uh, and, and here we still are as award winning podcasters. <laughs> Who'd have thought about it? Yes. So we, we started actually at the end of September. We first put up the, uh, the podcast mm-hmm. up on uh, up on the internet. Yes. On um, what's it called again? ShipmentDownUnder.com. <laughs> Not the time of our podcast. Where did we host it? WordPress, that's right. WordPress, yes, yes. Which uh, was a fairly straightforward process to put it up there. Oh, yeah. And uh, we announced that we were going to do our podcast, <clears throat> and we were going to start it on uh, October the 9th, which yes. is about when the journey was about to get under underway. Yes. But we very cleverly, and here's a tip for people who might be interested in doing a podcast, we put a number of episodes in the can yes. before we went live. Yes, yeah, so then that at least guarantees that you won't have one orphan episode up there getting terribly lonely. You might have four orphan episodes. But it also gives you an investment. You've done the work. So that, that, that gives you that motivation to just keep on going. So, yeah, I think we did maybe, was it five episodes perhaps? Yeah, four, four, or, five? four or five, yes, yes. So we recorded four or five before we finally uploaded them and told the world that they were there to be seen. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, another really good hint about that is that meant that we got onto the new and notable list on iTunes. Oh, that was for, for historical podcasts, that is. We, 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 weren't, we weren't threatening Beyonce, but still, we, we, we yes. were there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or that one about the murder victim. What was that one? No, no, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We, we, we weren't threatened. We weren't there. quite up there. Um, cereal, cereal, cereal. Yes, yes. yes. So there was a few zeros different. But 
<laughs> it was pretty exciting to be on the new and notable for historical podcast. I, I reckon it was the uh, our, our wonderful logo with the cannon on the blue background. Done by me. And I, yeah. I think so, yes. Uh, if there was an award for, for, for those sort of things, you'd be up there. <laughs> but having, having four episodes in the can meant that it uh, was looked at by whoever decides the mm, notable mm. lists. Yeah. If you only have a, an orphan episode, it doesn't get noticed there. And that, that helped people see our podcast, which we were pretty I, I think we, we were on you and notable for one or, one or two months. It was funny. Yeah. We used to, obviously, we tended to get popped back on it when we re- released a new episode. So mm-hmm. obviously it was based to a certain extent on how many people were listening. Um, so, yeah, so we started up there and uh, in December, so we had a number mm. of episodes. A key date, of course, for the Shenandoah, uh, was its visit to Melbourne, mm, Australia. Mm. And to commemorate that, and I'm going to hold up my computer screen to the microphone right now, <laughs> uh, Rob and I went down to Point Lonsdale, yes. which is at the heads of Port Phillip Bay, yep. where the Shenandoah would have sailed through mm-hmm. um, on the 25th of January, 1865. So we went down there on the 25th of January. Yes, except like, as I recall, we didn't do a live broadcasting from there. Because it was a bit windy. It was extremely windy, but we did have a nice photograph to put on on Facebook. And uh, so that that was nice for us to see. Um, You would have seen the Shenandoah sailing past Mm, 150 mm. years ago, almost from the point where... And had you seen that, you would have gone, my God, is that a Confederate warship? What has happened in our far colony of Victoria, Michael? Which is exactly what happened 150 (laughs) years ago. This led then on to there were 150 uh, and 150th anniversary celebrations at SeaWorks yes, in Williamstown. Yes. A, a very appropriate place for it to be. Yes. Yep. And that's where the Shenandoah was dry docked for a while yes, to repair yes. its propeller. And uh, that was a really significant time for us too because that's where we first met our friends yes. from the Civil War Roundtable. Yes, absolutely. Yes, so it yes, was fantastic can. that we went along there and we've yeah. made some great friends. I think, I think now, who did we meet on that day? We definitely met Barry. Yes, and we, I think we met Byard. Yes. And a, a number of other people. Yes. yes and uh, we, we watched some of the uh, commemorations that went on down there, which, mm. Was, mm. which was very interesting. And that got us along to our first meeting. And that's also where we heard about the Shenandoah Officers Ball. Yes, yes. And this was was in uh, February, and it commemorated the 150th anniversary of a ball that was held in honour of some officers from the Shenandoah who went up to the city of Ballarat in the goldfields, went up by train. It's Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. Melbourne was only founded in 1834. But by 1865, there was a railway network that could get you all the way up to the goldfields. Yep. Probably not for passengers. It was probably to bring all that sweet, sweet gold. I think initially, but after a while, they realised passengers would, 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 would do yes. it well. But, of course, the first goal uh, used to be taken back by stagecoach. And um, that's the, and they used to be bailed up by bush rangers. Bush rangers so after yes. a while, they realised you can fit a lot more guards on a train than you can on a stagecoach. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. So we had a wonderful time at the, uh, that, that, at the ball. That, I should point out that uh, because we gave this as a live presentation, um, Michael actually has a, a PowerPoint that has got the various pictures and stuff being referred to. So we will put that up on the website so you can have yeah. it. Yeah. a very nice picture of Rob and I looking very smart in our uh, oh. in our appropriate outfits. And Slim, what happened? 
I actually went on, as you remember, Operation, Operation Waistcoat. Waistcoat. Yes, yes. Because we, we went to a proper costumier outfitters mm. to, to get our outfits. Yeah, yeah we didn't wore. go to a fancy dress shop. We actually went to a place that actually does um, costumes for actors. And, and that's actually much, because that's, that's what we were doing for the evening. We were being actors. We yes. were. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Bad actors, but <laughs> we, were, we were actors. And... Uh, I found that I could just fit into my waistcoat because I actually wanted to bend, yes. sit down, dance, etc. I went on Operation Waistcoat for the uh, for the. For the for you had ten days. Ten I think. days, I think. And you managed to lose something like three kilograms. Or I something did. So I, I think I were pretty smart. Yeah. Oh, look, look. Well, I went the opposite track because I had exactly the same problem of not quite being able to fit into my waistcoat. So I had Operation Arter Costumiers to extend the waistcoat, <laughs> which which was. Worked just as well in terms of having a comfortable waistcoat, but I think you you, you did the you I did, did it hardcore. You, you did it hardcore, yes. yes. And uh, our wives looked very uh, delightful on that uh, that day as well. My yes. wife was looking very Scarlet O'Hara, I think, in her, cool. in her green outfit. And your wife actually used her, her, her wedding dress. Yes, yes. She used she used the the petticoats and the um, the under part of the wedding dress, and then put some purple. Um, over the top, so it had full body and, and everything, and she made she made herself a bonnet. I think she would have been a, a, a big catch back on the goldfields. Oh, actually. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they were the bells of the ball, and we we had a great time at that. And that was that was organised by the Civil War Roundtable, yes, and a mighty yes. fine job they did as well. Absolutely, I'm really looking forward to the 200th anniversary. Of yes. Oh, yeah. I think I'll be 102 at that point. Well, roll on. <laughs> Apparently they've, they've cured, they're, they're curing cancer, aren't they? That, that, that'd be good. I, I don't care. Right they right. can wheel me in as a brain in a jar <laughs> wearing a top hat. I think the 175th might actually be a little bit more... Uh, uh, little possibly, bit more uh, possibly closer, yes. So um, we then went on and the Shenandoah left Melbourne. Yes. And uh, we'd uh, written about its journey up to... Uh, up to the Caroline Islands, also known as Potapay. Yes. And uh, there were some very interesting things that went on there. They burned their first uh, whaling ships. Yes, they had some interesting contact with the indigenous peoples. Uh, yes. Diplomatic relations. D- diplomatic relations, and I'm sure there were other sorts of relations as well. And um, uh, that's about the point we started to um, talk about Tuferki as well, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Now, yes. For, for anyone who's interested, Tuferki is... Um, a roll of tofu that you bake or roast in the oven and have instead of a great big suckling pig for dinner. Yes, and that, now that was the episode of where, where we were discussing the different Christmas dinners of the Sea Shepherd, which is the, the nearest known um, uh, modern relationship to, uh, to to the Shenandoah and the Shenandoah. So yes, so, so the Shenandoah they had a hundred pound pig, six ducks, you know, four. <laughs> And, um, yes, on, on the Sea Shepherd, they had indeed tofurkey. They yes. did. They had roast tofurkey. And uh, <clears throat> Captain Paul Watson of the uh, Sea Shepherd. Sea Shepherd are the people that uh, go out in their ships and harass whalers. Yes, yes, which is a very good thing to do. And uh, the Shenandoah is, in fact, uh, something that Captain Paul Watson of the of the Sea Shepherd, he, he looks up to them and uh, he's... The, the quote that he likes is one that we were, were we were able to repeat, and the quote is: "When at one point um, some officers of the Shenandoah were capturing a whale, I believe the one with all the booze yes, on yes, board, yes, um, and they were asking, what on earth are you guys doing up here in the Arctic?' The reply was, "Why the fact of the business is, Captain," replied the officer facetiously." 
We've entered into a treaty offensive and defensive with the whales and are up here by special agreement to disperse their mortal enemies. Oh, isn't that a wonderful line? And Mind you, that, that line is only reported by one source and it was a source that all the other officers regarded as being completely untrustworthy and prone to make things up. But you know what? I do not care. Uh, I, never I, spoil a story. It, it was still an original source and, and, it, and it may well be true. Yes. And then uh, after that, we actually... Um, this is when we... Board on board, ah, on board. There you go, guys. <laughs> on board our uh, podcast, some of the people from the Civil yes. War Roundtable and a, yes. a number of other experts that we had yes. Uh, yes. on yes. to talk about things. And first was Bayard Shepherd, and uh, he is a bit of an expert on the history and construction mm. of mm. the Shenandoah, or of the Seeking, as it was when it was first built. It was back in, I think, episode nineteen. Yep. And uh, we had a fascinating discussion about how the ship was actually put together. Yes, yes, although Bayer's mum felt that I was speaking a little bit softly in this episode, which is funny because I think she's the first person in the history of ever to, to say ever, that. Ever, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, well, I think we were comparing the um, construction of the Sea King to the construction of the Cutty Sark. Yes, the Cutty Sark model. The plastic model you were putting together. Uh, I'm still putting it together, but believe me, when I put it together, it will be fantastic and I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a picture up on the website. Yeah. Okay, um, and later on, we had as an expert, if you remember, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Confederate flag. Yes. Because we'd met uh, Sam Craghead from the uh, American Museum of the Civil War. Yes. Who talked about that the actual flag of the Shenandoah is there to be seen. Mm, mm. In fact, I think it was brought out uh, last year as part of the... Um, 150th commemorations. I think it's not normally on display. And this was right at the moment when there was all the uh, debate and controversy about the Confederate flag mm. in the US. So what we decided to do is, we thought, oh, this is a bit of a... Um, a dodgy topic. A, a, a difficult a difficult uh, topic, a bit fraught. But, but a worthy topic. Yeah. Indeed. So we got a Brit on yes, to talk about yes, the flag. So, so, so two Australians and a Brit talking about the Confederate flag. We, 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 we thought we thought that would be would be enough balance. Yes, yeah, we thought that would work out uh, really well. And that was actually our our friend Chris Gidlow. Yes, who um, actually works at the historic Royal Palaces of London. Yep, and he is the uh, head of live interpretation there. Oh. And Chris normally um, is wearing medieval-type clothes. Yes. Or I think he might even go as far as Georgian. Fair enough. But um, for his wedding many years ago, he decided that uh, a whole lot of reenactors were going to come and it'd be, it'd be a bit uh, a bit like a busman's holiday yes, to have everyone it. coming in medieval garb. So he insisted on modern dress. But the modern dress was, in fact, American Civil War. But uh, American Civil War Union. Yes, he yes. came as a Union colonel, yes. I believe. Yes, and that led to a later one because um, Chris's best man was was tasked with sorting the buttons for, for that. Mm, and apparently, we're going to get those buttons in the mail. Oh well, soon. well, in that case, we're we'll, we'll excited about be, that. Yes, we're hoping to distribute them so, to uh, our guests. We, we, we appreciate uh, that. That was uh, Mike Hagen. Yes, yes, who, who gave us a, a wonderful, a wonderful presentation on the sourcing of various kinds of buttons, including that the the company that made those buttons, which cheerfully sold to both sides during the Civil War. 
yes. is still in existence selling buttons. So obviously, it, you know, some companies just reach a peak of perfection where both sides just ignore that you're selling to the other, and then you could just keep on well, going. Everyone forever. wanted nice buttons, and, and they still sell those buttons. And given that they're those buttons sold from that factory, I think they're just as authentic as they were in 1865. Mm. You do want to say modern version, but uh, but they're still wonderful. So uh, another guest we had from the Civil War Roundtable was Barry Conway. Yes, but we, I think he was the only guest we had on twice. He was. Yes. And really, we could have had Barry on... Um, any number of times. Any number but, of times. But then it would have become the Barry Crompton and Shenandoah <laughs> down under. So, so, so yeah, yeah, you've got to be a bit wary of that. Yeah. And but I think if there's anyone out there that knows stuff about the Shenandoah, it's Barry. Yes, absolutely. An absolute fount of wisdom. And he did give us a very good uh, recounting of the crew. Or, yes. the, mm. or the people from Australia who came on board. And I believe only one of them is buried back in uh, in Melbourne. Yes, yes. One of them made it back. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And uh, gave up the rest of his life to uh, wine, women, song and dissipation, I believe. How unlike a sailor that is. <laughs> now, now, um, we had Justin Vance from the um, University oh, of... Oh, now that was absolutely fascinating because yes. that was talking about the effect of uh, the Civil War on, on Hawaii yes. and the yes. Pacific. And it's not really something that immediately came to mind to me until he talked all about yes, it. Yes, yes. Then it was quite fascinating. And, and, and the fact that most whaling crews uh, had a lot of Hawaiians and uh, yes, Pacific yes. Islanders. Because they were just, just the best sailors going around. Yep. We also had uh, Rick Mines yes. from uh, the United States. And yes. He, he gave us a, uh, a very good description of the trips that he used to do as a uh, small child with his his family to go and visit Civil War battlefields. Yeah, which is, I believe, a very common rite of passage among uh, American children um, whose parents were either very interested in the Civil War or interested in a cheap day out. (laughs) Something we, here in Australia, we're kind of very lacking in uh, those sort of sites. There's not really too many things. I think we went to the one. We went to, uh, Michael and I, um, when we were at the the, the ball, um, we went to the... um, um, the, Eureka the Eureka Stockade, and they've actually built a much more formidable stockade than was there at the time. Well, they've I... built it as a children's playground. Well, yes, but a children's playground with with, with eminently um, defensible. Yes, yeah, with yes, cannon, so. and although the cannon, I believe, are probably not not so uh, yeah <laughs> ready ready to be used. But can't really think of anything else. You know, well, well, now obviously there's um, Darwin up to our north was in fact bombed by the Japanese, and I'm sure that there's uh, uh, memorials and uh, stuff up there. But uh, apart from that. Oh, we also had our friend uh, John Coleman on the show, who was doing uh, recording his uh, his own podcast, Hundred Years War Man, and uh, he came along and made great merriment when um, Michael, I believe, um, when he was trying to say "Oh for another Yankee," said in fact um, "Oh for another wanky." And, I, I um, think I did. <laughs> yes, and uh, so John's podcast is well worth a listen. Yes, yes Hundred uh, Year War Man, and. Uh, our journey only went for one year. Yes, yes. He, he's obviously John's got material coming out the wazoo. Yeah, yes. He's probably got to, obviously got to live to be 150. Uh, now, also somebody who wasn't a guest on the show. We, we didn't want to interrupt him. He's a very busy man. But um, we did in fact give us a lot of our primary source material, which has not been published but exists as PDFs. PDFs, and that was Sam Craighead from the uh, Museum of the Civil War. In, in America, in Richmond, Virginia. In Richmond, Virginia. Who... Yes, Sam had been a guest at the um, American Civil War Roundtable Conference. Yes, the 150th anniversary conference. He's yes. a very interesting man to meet, and uh, some of the um, officers uh, 
journals that we yes. had have not really been published. No, so. no, no. So, so Mr. Midshipman Mason's journal, which um, we, we got a lot of mileage out of it. Oh, you, but, got, uh, you got so much. Oh, he, 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 he was a, a, a God-fearing and an intelligent young man. A voracious reader. A, a voracious reader. A man, a man after my own heart. But, um, but uh, the, the rather less nice but very gossipy surge of lining. We got a lot of, yeah. Lining would always say when somebody had had too much to drink the night before, and uh, you know, well, not the nicest man you've ever you'd ever meet. He was he was rather interesting. He was one of those sort of guys that'd say, if you can't say anything nice, come, come, sit, come next sit next to, to me. me. Yes. Exactly, yes. exactly. So, and I think we also got the the memoir published by Cornelius Hunt um, for, through, uh, mm. through 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 Sam. So. Oh. And uh, one one journal we did not quote from, of course, was uh, that of Dabney Minor Scales, yes, which, is, which, which is, Barry had uh, announced, mm. uh, is going to be purchased by the State Library of Victoria. Yes, so so we might have to have a, a, an even very special episode, 54th episode, when uh, Dabney Minor Scales' is, um, uh, journal is, is released, unless it's really boring. Well... With a name like Dabney Minor Scales, yeah, how, it's, how, it's, how, it's got how could puns have, in it for a start. Yes, exactly. how could it fail be interesting? Okay, well, I'm pretty sure that we've uh, we've mentioned all our guests. We should uh, take the opportunity to thank our wives. Well, I'll, I'll thank my wife. You can thank your wife. Okay. <laughs> yes, they've been very patient with this. Well, and they attended the ball. That, as we said earlier, they attended the ball with us, looking looking absolutely a million dollars. So the bells of the ball. So thanks to them for for being good sports. So. Rob, we really enjoyed doing the podcast. Mm, it was a mm. whole, uh, it was a whole year. Yes, mirroring the uh, the journey. Yes, we felt like we'd been around our intellectual world. Yes, not once, but many times. By the time we've done. made, uh, we've made some really good friends yes, on this journey. Yes. We've uh, certainly had some interest and listeners from all over the world, which mm. is really exciting. Did I mention that we won an award, Michael? Did, 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 oh, did you? <laughs> I, I, I think you did. Okay, okay. and. We we just actually had the final part of the journey to uh, to, yes. to tie up. Yes, yes, and that was to talk about the Alabama claims. Yes, so the Alabama claims at the very end are the claims of the American government against yes. the British for yes. everything that went on. And Rob, you're going to talk a bit more. Uh, about I, that. I am going to talk a bit more about that. So yes, I, I did a little bit of research. Um, initially, the um, the Americans wanted either a billion dollars for settlement of the claim. Or there was even some talk that they, they wanted Canada, but um, then then eventually they got real, and uh, I'll, I'll have a brief talk about that. Now, the Alabama claims uh, were made in 1869, and uh, a couple of quite important uh, American politicians made the running with them. Uh, first of all, uh, Senator Charles Sumner, and uh, he was a leading um, anti-slavery proponent uh, before the before the Civil War. And uh, the other one was um, W. H. Seward, of course, who was the Secretary of State, who we, we, we've talked about before, who managed to get himself stabbed um, uh, at the, on the same day that Lincoln Lincoln was shot, was was was, was killed. Now, um, Seward uh, had Seward, I presume, had um, also negotiated the Alaska Purchase, um, so he was he was in the mood to get rather large chunks of land uh, for for the U.S. So the idea arose that uh, the Alabama claims, the initial idea was either that um, $2 billion, which is a lot of money now, but was more than a lot of money back in those days, or the other, the other idea, of course, was they could take um, part or all of Canada. 
And apparently, um, again, uh, according to the doctrine of manifest destiny, which was uh, very big in America in the, the 19th century, initially it meant that uh, the US should go across the entire um, continental um, America, uh, which of course they did when they when they reached California. Uh, but then of course they uh, took rather large bites of Mexico, and the idea also was that um, if they got British Columbia, then they would have a way of joining up to the the new possessions in Alaska. So this it has to be said was a rather um, ambitious undertaking, and um, I think possibly when the uh, when the uh, when the British heard that uh, they were expected to give up. Um, either $2 billion or Canada, uh, they were probably not, not all that happy about that. Indeed, the, the idea of taking land in payment uh, for any um, any court case uh, it reached apparently a peak in 1870 and then was gradually dropped because obviously a uh, decision like that would take years to, uh, to negotiate um, and there were commercial interests who wanted... Um, America to go for the cash and settle for the dollars, uh, which which they eventually did. Now, the decision to seek mediation um, in Geneva was taken uh, undertaken as part of the Treaty of Washington in 1871. So I believe there were six American and six English representatives, and one of their um, recommendations was that they set up a, a panel in Geneva. Now, uh, now there were five people uh, on this panel, and... Uh, I have to say, um, information is uh, rather more available on some of them than in others. Uh, one of them was Frederico Sklopis, Sklopis? Uh, Frederico Sklopis di Salero, an Italian statesman and jurist best remembered for his role in the unification of Italy and his education in the Alabama claims. So I have to say, um, while the uh, unification of Italy obviously, uh, you know, was a, a very important thing, the fact that the Alabama claims is the, you know, perhaps the second most thing that uh, Mr. Sklopas is known for is a, is a little bit of a uh, <laughs> little bit of an indication that he, he wasn't perhaps the panel's heaviest hitter. You uh, you can't say that about um, Sir Alexander James Edmund Coburn. Um, was a Scottish jurist and politician who served as a Lord Chief Justice for 21 years, a notorious woman womanizer and socialite, uh, says Wikipedia. He heard some of the, the most scandalous uh, cases of his day. And, oh, my God, he did. Uh, now, also, um, given that he was um, Lord Chief Justice um, of England, he would have been the person who originally gave the, um, the ruling uh, to... Um, uh, the Prime Minister of England, that the Alabama it was okay to let the Alabama go, given that it was armed um, outside English waters. So it's fair to say that he had a uh, he had a dog in this fight. But before he had a dog in the Alabama claims, um, he was in such fascinating cases as the trial of Dr. Coburn. So he charged his uncle for a case of simony, and he's given his uncle with William Dean of York. Uh, simony is selling ecclesiastical. Um, Officers for profit. So I actually think that, um, yeah, charging charging your your uncle with simony is a, is a very good way to get your get yourself noted around the populace. Um, he did a, a judgment on the winner of the eighteen forty four Derby. He appeared in Wood versus Peel to determine the winner of a bet as to whether the Derby winner, Running Rain, was a four year old or a three year old. That sounds like one of the most pointless bets ever, but uh, it led to a big legal thing because, of course. Um, 
in those days, um, ga- ga- gambling was still technically illegal. So that if you if you lost a bet, um, you know, it was apparently not uh, not legally enforceable. And in fact, uh, Coburn lost that case. Uh, but apparently, he uh, said things about Lord George Bentick in his opening that should have been held back. Uh, he defended um, Lieutenant Henry Hawkey, who was the last person um, to be acquitted of uh, dueling in, in England, and uh, he, he fought a duel with James Seaton, who was the last British person to be killed in a duel. I, I think I think being the winner of the last duel in the United Kingdom is a better memory than being the uh, yeah, the, the loser. And um, uh, in the trial of Daniel McNaughton, um, who shot uh, Robert Peel's uh, secretary, Edward Drummond, um, Coburn was on uh, briefed on behalf of the assassin and made the... Um, a speech that helped to establish the insanity defence in Britain for the next century. Um, basically, um, if, if there was a, a famous big trial, um, uh, you know, he would Coburn, Coburn would be in it. Um, he was uh, led the crown in the trial of William Palmer, who was uh, one of the very famous uh, murderers in the uh, in the nineteenth century, uh, who poisoned a friend named Cook with strychnine in order to steal from his estate. So uh, Coburn, Coburn was in that. Coburn presided over the Titchbourne case, when um, which are another of the very famous cases of the uh, 19th century, in which Arthur Orton attempted to establish his identity as a missing baronet, Sir Roger Titchbourne. The trial collapsed after 103 days. Coburn then presided over the subsequent trial of Orton for perjury, a famous trial that lasted 188 days, setting a record for criminal trials of which Coburn CJ summing up occupied 18. Oh my god, imagine sitting through an 18, 18 day, um, summing up. Now, for the United States, it was our old friend Charles Francis Adams Sr., who was, of course, uh, the ambassador to England during the time of the Civil War, and was very, very, very annoyed, uh, as we've mentioned in a number of episodes, uh, that the English were letting uh, letting these ships escape, uh, including the Shenandoah. And uh, basically, I think he vowed during the war... I think he threatened war with... Uh, <laughs> With England at one point, although obviously that wasn't taken up. But again, um, as with Coburn, he was another person with a with a very big dog in the fight. Uh, now the uh, the Swiss representative, obviously given it was in Switzerland, there had to be a Swiss rep- representative, um, was Jacob Stumpfli, and uh, <laughs> I have to say, he's a, he's another one of those people whose uh, membership of the Alabama claims is a, a rather large part of their. Uh, of their historical record. But uh, there you go, go go, Jacob. And the final member of the panel was Marcos Antonio de Arujo, second baron of Atajuba, uh, who was um, from Brazil. And again, uh, he is a, another person whose uh, membership of the Alabama Claims Tribunal tends, seems to be their, their main claim to historical fame. So the uh, the Alabama Claims Commission uh, met in uh, Switzerland in in 1872, and uh, and where eventually conflict between two states was solved in a neutral state for the first time. Um, now they they did this in the Hotel de Ville in Geneva, and um, uh, this was um, 
and there's, there's an Alabama room in the uh, in the Hotel de Ville to this day. Um, it was a, a, a pretty important building because the um, the I believe the Geneva Convention was uh, was signed there, and uh, the the League of Nations also assembled there in uh, in 1920. Apparently, it's an interesting building. Uh, it's one of only three buildings in Europe to have a sloping ramp inside instead of stairs. The others are on the Loire and at Schwarzhausen, both to facilitate cannons being pulled up to the ramparts and, so it said, to enable councillors to arrive at meetings on horseback or in their sedan chair. Um, behind the building is a lovely promenade de la Trail with the longest wooden bench in the world, 126 metres, my goodness, and a view over the city framed by chestnut trees. The last tree on the left, bent forward, is the official tree of Geneva. Tradition has it that the chief city councillor must record the day its first bud blossomed as being the first day of spring. A board of dates has been kept in the town hall since 1818 and is added to annually. Well, there you go. Um, that's from the website switzerlandisyours.com and, uh, and thank you very much for that, uh, to them for that information about the Hotel de Ville. Now, as, as we know, the arbitration uh, eventually ended up with an award um, against Britain for uh, $15.5 million. But funnily enough, um, Alexander Coburn, the, uh, the English representative, was, was not at all happy with this. Um, basically, he dissented from the majority view as to British liability for the actions of British-built privateer ships. Funny about that. Um, he published a controversial dissenting opinion in which he admitted British liability for the actions of the CSS Alabama, though not on the grounds given in the award. I think he's trying to defend his, uh, his decision during the war there and discounted liability for the CSS Florida and CSS Shenandoah. Well, um, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, Alexander Coburn, uh, Britain had to end up paying. Uh, it's interesting, um, uh, another, another, when they're mentioning his personality, um, Coburn was uh, not just a womanizer and, uh, you know, a great champion of the proper role of the advocate, but uh, as a judge, he did not have the highest reputation with a joke within the legal profession being that he became a first-rate judge only because he sat with Lord Blackburn. Charles Francis Adams Sr., a fellow judge on the Geneva Tribunal to resolve the Alabama claims issue, felt that Sir Alexander's temper was so short that he seemed mentally unbalanced. There you go, a, a mad English judge, who, who, whoever would have thought it. But so, they, um, when the Alabama claims were over in, in 1872, really that was... Um, Pretty much the the end of the the legal battle of the the Shenandoah. So the um, the the legal ramifications um, took longer than the war that uh, that uh, that led to them. Uh, now, the, according to Wikipedia, the legacy of the Alabama claims uh, they established the principle of international arbitration and launched a movement to codify public international law with hopes for finding peaceful solutions for international disputes. The arbitration of the Alabama claims was a precursor to the Hague Convention, the League of Nations, the World Court, and the United Nations. So there you go. So, so you know, um, at the end of our story about whaling, sort of, you know, 150 years later, the principles of international justice used to, uh, you know, to, to decide the, the fate of the uh, of the English government uh, after the Civil War is, is now used also uh, in international law to to try and um, make whaling illegal. So I, I think there's a resonance there. Every everything comes round. Everything comes round in the end. Oh, well, that's just fascinating, Robin. You know, I would love to one day go and 
have a drink at the world's longest bench. Is yes, it a bar yes. or a bench? I think it is a bench, but I'm sure there's a bar somewhere close. Yes, I'm sure you could sit down on the bench and. Uh, have well, a I'd like them to. You know, it is in Switzerland. Do yes. they do steins of beer? They could slide it along <laughs> the along the bench. The, the longest bench, wooden bench in the world. Well, that, that, that's that. where the story. Well, the story didn't quite end there because the Sea King then went off and uh, was yes. sold to the Sultan of Oman. Oh, uh, look, look, look! Talked about in earlier episodes. A good sea story never really ends. I'd like to go to Potape. I'd like to go to Liverpool. I'd like to go to the north of uh, to Scotland, to the north where the Sea King was built. You know, there are, there are many mirrors of uh, places to go on the sea of story. But I think we might have finally finished the end of this one. I, I can't. I can't add to that. <laughs> You've ended that very elegantly. <laughs> okay. Well, then let, let's leave them wanting more. This has been Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whale with Rob and Mob. I was Rob, and I well, I actually still am Mob. But <laughs> thank you very much for listening. We've really enjoyed doing this. Yes. Okay. Tally ho and ahoy. Little writing again about how heartily tired he is of not catching another wanky at Yank. Oh, I think we're... Let's, we... Let's edit that out. We or might, not. No, no, no. Might, that, that, that might be one for the blooper reel, I think. I think we'll, we'll copy that straight for the blooper reel. Oh, dear. Uh, yes. Um, read that yes. sentence again, Michael. Okay. Ahoy, there being a wanky <laughs> yank. Um, wanky yank. Oh, thank goodness this isn't going out live. Um... <laughs>